Paradise people. Welcome back to the podcast and our radio show here at Bobo 89.1 FM. I am Bella Rooney, your host, and today we are continuing our new series, Nature Positive, sponsored by Sustainable Cayman. Each month, we talk to a new guest on a different subject relating to a move towards nature positivity. Last month, we chatted with Winston Connolly about finance and its role in our sustainable future here in Cayman. And make sure to check that out. It's over on YouTube, or you can listen to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. But today, we are changing things up, and we're talking about fisheries. And I am joined by citizen marine biologist, commercial underwater photographer, and diver extraordinaire, Mr. Courtney Platt. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning, Bella. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great, thanks. I'm glad to be here. I'm happy you're here, because I know you know a lot about this, and I'm really excited to kind of learn. I'm learning. there's, There's so many things to know about this people might not know, right? Yeah. So, you have an incredible, incredible background and history of work here in Cayman. You minored in marine biology, you are an incredibly talented underwater photographer and architect photographer and commercial in all many different ways, photographer, and you've worked on eight assignments for National Geographic magazine, which is unbelievable. That's National Geographic. Who doesn't aspire to National Geographic, right? <laughs> You have also piloted over 2,500 deep sub dives along the Cayman Wall up to 1,000 feet. Oh my gosh. And you're also an avid scuba diver. And with all this being said, you're definitely incredibly, incredibly in touch with the life of our oceans here in Cayman and have seen firsthand the declines of our reef fish populations. You also have a unique understanding of what this means to our tourism industry and their bottom line and might be able to offer some solutions. So thank you for coming and joining us today. Well, I'm really glad to be here, and uh, the the main point of mm-hmm. this whole thing is to raise awareness mm-hmm. that we do have a problem, mm-hmm. and there's something all of us can be doing about it. Okay, fabulous. So let's just start off by getting to know you a bit better. You've always been passionate about the ocean. You've always had a passion. How did you come into this line of work? Well, I don't know that we need the entire history. I no, started no. snorkeling <laughs> at eight and you know got into the marine yep. biology from a very early age, mm-hmm. but... Uh, Underwater photography began for me in 1976 mm-hmm. uh, out of the passion for the marine biology, for the marine life, mm-hmm. just life in general. I'm yeah. excited about all living things, mm-hmm. but uh, marine life in particular is extraordinary. It's an alien planet kind mm-hmm. of thing, yeah. and it is a cornucopia if we use it sustainably. You're right. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting, and it's, it's, it is alien, and mm-hmm. that's what's so amazing. Well, we, we've only discovered 3% of it. Is that right? Yeah. Somewhere in there. Somewhere yeah. in there, which is insane. Okay. So if you were to jump into the sea today without having been an avid diver like yourself throughout the years, you would think, wow, we have so many fish. I myself, I went for a dive yesterday and I was just bedazzled by all the beautiful fish swimming around. But we're kind of just seeing the remnants of this, aren't we? Which is kind of hard to comprehend. So how does the current state of our marine resources compare to the historic number and for those who don't know, which fish are we talking about in regards to these losses? Okay, uh, two questions there. Um, yeah, we have greatly diminished mm-hmm. our reef fish population, but primarily it's the fish we love to eat, mm. right? So everything we love to eat. Uh, we began regulating conch and lobsters uh, long ago, mm-hmm. and we've seen some success in at least maintaining their populations, but not rapid growth in their populations, and mm. poaching keeps knocking it down and mm. uh, and all that. But um, regarding reef fish, though, we've never really uh, had much regulation ex- aside from the marine park. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, 
as a result, we grossly overfished it as our population went up. So, Interesting. you know, the resident population rose rapidly as tourism rose rapidly. Mm. And that um, they built each other up. Uh, as a result, there are a lot more mouths to feed. Right. And everybody who visits an island wants to eat the fresh local seafood, right? right. So we've, we've really uh, grossly overfished it. It's uh, possibly a bit of pollution as well, but mm. that primarily affects the corals. Mm. Uh, the... The real decline in the reef fish has been uh, fishing. Mm. So. By, by locals and by like actual fishermen, that do they sell them to shops here? I don't even know that. Oh, absolutely. Of course, yeah. you see the, the fish, fishermen selling down on the waterfront. Yeah. Uh, today, most of what they're selling now is pelagic fish or uh, deep water fish, yeah. deep water be- uh, benthic fish coming from 1,000 to 2,000 feet deep on the deep island slope. Oh. That's a whole different issue. Yeah. We, I want to be clear what we're really focused mm-hmm. on here. And this mm-hmm. is our reef shelf. Mm-hmm. It's the reef fish. That's everything mm-hmm. that lives from the shore mm-hmm. out to the drop-off down to t- about 220 feet. That's mm-hmm. the maximum depth at mm-hmm. which reef-building corals grow. Mm-hmm. And that's where the reef fish will be from 220 up into the shallows. Okay. Out past the reef, mm-hmm. now we're talking pelagic fish, deep water, and the reef fish, adult reef fish, don't go there. Right. They won't okay. go out in the pelagic waters. They don't come in from the pelagic waters. They don't come in There's from the no pelagic waters. There's no magic source of adult reef fish arriving from elsewhere. Mm. Maybe some of the uh, juvenile uh, recruits mm-hmm. may be coming from elsewhere, but primarily the new recruits are coming f- are being generated from local reef fish uh, into a gyre, a current gyre that goes out and comes back 30 or 40 days later depositing those uh, juveniles back on the reef, if they're lucky. A lot get lost at sea, uh, some end up going off elsewhere. So theoretically, Mm -hmm. because it's it's only been proven about the Nassar grouper, Mm because we've done that study Mm -hmm. in the Grouper Moon Project. Right. Over in the sister islands, we know that the the grouper spawn is going out, cycling back, and coming back to the islands. So primarily, your source of new fish is the adult fish on your reef. Primarily. Theoretically, some will be stragglers that get lost from elsewhere Mm -hmm. and land here. Mm -hmm. But that's not the principal source. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. What species are Uh, we talking about here? The second part of the the question. Yeah. Uh, It's everything we love to eat. So that's the groupers. Mm -hmm. And there's at least six uh, species of large grouper uh, on our reefs. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so when people talk about grouper, they don't sometimes don't realize that there's more than Nassau grouper. Right. Yeah, we've got tiger grouper, yellowmouth grouper, yellowfin grouper, mm-hmm. black grouper, and the Goliath grouper, uh, Nassau grouper. Uh, Go- Goliath grouper we've given total protection to a long time ago. Yeah. If you see a Goliath grouper landed, that person needs to be called on. Oh. We have an app for that. We'll talk about it. We'll get back point. to that. <laughs> but... Um, the snappers, all the big schooling uh, species of snappers, mm-hmm. uh, the gray reef snapper, mm-hmm. uh, the mangrove snapper, uh, mm-hmm. used to be present in huge schools, and now you just find small schools. And among that, those schools, there used to be lots of big uh, s- specimens. Uh, now you don't see very many big specimens anymore. No. Both of those things, the reducing size of school and the reducing size of individuals in the school, are symptoms of a declining population. Mm. But uh, 
old timers like me mm-hmm. uh, are dropping off like flies <laughs> well. and we need to speak up while we're still alive and tell people what it used to be like yeah. uh, because there is no evidence, no statistical data um, on what historic populations had been of these fish we're talking about. Uh, as a result, then, we have to rely on anecdotal evidence. Mm. So people like me have to let you know what it used to be like and right. how it's changed. And I can tell you, it has dramatically reduced wow. in the population of all the species we love to eat. Yeah. And we're now shifting, we have shifted about 15, 20 years ago to uh, keeping species we never used to keep before, like the black durgeon, mm-hmm. the prop prop. Locally, we call it prop prop. Okay. Uh, little pan-sized fish, uh, perfect for frying. I think it's called crispy trigger up at uh, Morgan's Harbor. Okay. And uh, so now we're we're eating up species that we used to throw back because they were a nuisance. You know, they they would try to catch, they would try to take your bait on the way down to the fish you want to catch or on the way up. Uh, steal, they you? would steal your bait and the fishermen would go, ah, another prop prop, you know, and throw it back. You know, <laughs> now that's what they're after. That's what they're catching. And so we're seeing those populations decline as well. So there's and a massive imbalance. Grunts, the little, you know, blue striped grunts yep. and French grunts and that sort of thing. Um, it's all in decline. The, right. The, the new marine park expansion, though, is a wonderful first step okay. in preserving this. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I'm here to ask everyone listening. Mm-hmm to step up mm-hmm. and do their part in the restoration. Okay. So what does a shifting what is a shifting baseline? Does uh, that have to do with what you just talked about? Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, it, a lot to do with it. Um, a shifting baseline is a change in perception that occurs in every new generation coming in to witness a declining population of any renewable resource. We could be talking about butterflies or birds or trees or fish. And uh, if if you were Bob Soto mm-hmm. starting the dive industry in 1957, mm-hmm. you came in and said, wow, look at all the fish. Right. Right. And your dive tourists who came mm-hmm. to, to visit with you, they went, wow, look at all the fish. But 20 years later, uh, say 1977, they're beginning to notice a, a bit of a decline wow. in the size of the big groupers, the number of the groupers at the dive sites. Maybe uh, your favorite grouper that used to greet you all the time is missing. Oh. And these are fish that live 20 or 30 years. A lot of people don't know the biology of these things to understand. Uh, they don't just suddenly Die. appear yeah. uh, large yeah. two or three years later. It takes 20 or 30 years to get that size. That size, of course. And... Um, and so then I came, for instance, in 1983, and I went, wow, look at all the fish. <laughs> but all the dive masters that I was working with at Bob Soto's Diving were already grumbling and moaning about how quickly the big fish and the big schools of fish were disappearing or reducing uh, in size. Back then. And, wow. uh, and so I knew even then mm. that I was not going. And I used to fish and spearfish in California where I grew up. But I realized when I got here in 83 that I wasn't going to eat any reef fish because they were in decline. It was obvious already in 83. A lot of people have no clue. And so there's this shifting perception as, uh, you know, 
another 10 years goes goes by and some kid learns how to scuba dive and he says wow look at all the fish or a new visitor comes and says wow look at all the fish but the old visitors that uh, i was seeing when i first got here in 83 they were saying Man, I'm not coming back. I've been here, I've, I've come here 12, 20 times. This is my 20th trip, but I'm not coming back because it's all disappearing and you're building up the beach. This is 1983. Oh my <laughs> you God. Know? The traffic is increasing. And oh the, my God, don't even. <laughs> building up the beach. And they, and they stopped coming. So the high-end divers, we lost a lot of money since then yeah. in dive tourism because of the decline on the reef. Yeah. So it's an economic issue as well. And Which? hopefully we'll get into that as mm-hmm. well as the strategic food reserve value of all this. Of course. Yeah. So what advice? Let's we're going to ask you at the beginning. We're going to ask you at the end. But what advice could you offer people who want to be a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem? Ah, excellent. OK, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, and prime prime most is that if you can afford to eat anything else, mm-hmm. Please mm. do. Mm. Don't catch, buy, mm-hmm. sell, or eat mm-hmm. fish that come from the reef. Now, I mentioned that the reef fish only live from shore to the drop off, but a lot of people don't r- realize which fish those are. They don't know, you mm. know, the difference, say, between a mahi mahi and a tuna and a wahoo, which mm-hmm. lives offshore in the, the deep pelagic. Uh, waters Mm -hmm. versus the reef fish which are all the groupers and snappers and trigger fish and parrot fish Mm -hmm. Uh, so these are the fish i'm talking about Mm -hmm. is uh, the ones that live on our reefs so Mm -hmm. familiarize yourself with what they are Mm -hmm. um, what kind of fish and then don't eat them don't buy them yeah (laughs) don't catch them it you know it grieves me Mm -hmm. to see uh somebody with a hundred thousand dollar boat Mm-hmm. fishing on the reef you know they go oh, no, that guy doesn't need that for dinner yeah. right this should be reserved for uh, the see. people who need dinner tonight or they're not going to have food you're right really yeah. i mean it's i understand the the situation is that dire yeah uh the need especially for certain species that are on the brink of local extinction like yeah. the nassau grouper uh and the kubera snapper i mean uh, you know we we do see some yeah. i'm not saying we have none I'm just saying that relative to historic numbers, mm. we might be looking at less than 1%. We don't know because we don't have data from the history, right? So it's just anecdotal evidence. So it's not, it's more if you can afford not to fish these, you shouldn't. But if it's yes. a part of, you know, if, if it's for your food and your family and your yeah. culture and your livelihood, so, then it's different. So I'm speaking to 99.9% of the residents of this island, I especially see. new residents. Right. Right. New residents mm. and expats. And well, anybody who, you know, is making a decent living, there's no need for you to catch fish for dinner. Let them reproduce. Mm-hmm. So the future will have a strategic food reserve, which we used to have and we have lost. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, we're going to have to, <laughs> that's a whole other thing we could get into there. Yes. So my next question is, hasn't the DOE already done enough to restore our reef population? So we expanded the parks in 2019 and we have our National Conservation Act and marine park regulations. Is that, is that not enough to handle our situation? That's a really good question. And I am pretty sure that not even DOE would be able to answer that question mm. really confidently. Uh, you know, when we established the first marine park, we thought, okay, yay, salvation at last. We're going to restore our fish population. But it was barely a speed bump mm. in the decline, even in the park. 
Mm. Uh, they didn't do a fish count in the park in 1986 when it was established. The first fish count was done in 2009, 2010, and it's not even specific to each species. It groups them as groupers, snappers, uh, you know, that sort of parrotfish, uh, instead of, you know, rainbow parrotfish, blue parrotfish, midnight parrotfish, uh, tiger grouper, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it just grouped. Lumps. So we don't mm. know. Uh, the numbers for individual That's species. Unfortunate. And we certainly don't have the historic numbers. Right. So it's very difficult to be sure, uh, and we need to have a regular monitoring process, a regular monitoring process, and that takes money. And we, mm-hmm. the, only, the only reason we even have a count is because the Darwin Initiative gave mm-hmm. us money to do it. Right. But we, it has to be regular so we can keep track of how we're doing. Are we increasing, decreasing? But for each species, mm-hmm. not just groups. Mm-hmm. And, yes, of course. You know, uh, that's just my opinion, guys. I, again, <laughs> you know, I don't work at DOE, and I get to speak my opinion. You betcha. Uh, and you can take it or leave it, but uh, that's where I'm at, is we need uh, to spend more on monitoring this. Mm-hmm. But no, to, to answer the question, though, mm-hmm. I don't think so. You don't think they're doing anything? That's not enough. There are still cards left on the table we uh-huh. can play, and we're not yet playing those cards. And a big one, in my opinion, mm-hmm. excuse me if I'm speaking out of line, but oh. a big move we could do would be to reserve our marine, our shelf, a reef shelf, marine resources for Caymanians only. Mm. So if you had uh, some kind of, say, hook and release permit that visitors and expats could pay for it might help us with the expense of monitoring the yeah that money the could go right back into it and um that hook and release would only be for hook and release right right only people allowed to keep uh, you know catch and keep would be caymanians mm-hmm. and then we would really go a long way way beyond the expansion of the ring park in my opinion mm-hmm. to the restoration that's a really interesting opinion. I mean, I think a, a lot of people probably agree and a lot of people probably disagree, but that's okay because I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. <laughs> Almost every Caymanian, including all of the fishermen, yeah. would agree. I would think so. Absolutely. I'm inclined to agree. So that's, this is just a political will uh, yeah. situation, and they just have to understand how much this is worth to us. Exactly. As right. a strategic food reserve yeah. and economically as an attraction for tourism. Right, and just to preserve what we and have. A daily, a daily source of food for those right. who need it. So this new DOE Marine Parks phone app that you mentioned a bit earlier, can everyone help with the enforcement of the laws now? And are you able to report illegal sightings anonymously? Yeah, that's my most exciting announcement <laughs> for the day. Yeah. <laughs> is that you, everybody who lives here, has the opportunity to help and be part of the solution rather than being part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So stop eating the reef fish if you Mm -hmm. can afford to, Mm -hmm. and download the new app from DOE Mm -hmm. onto your phone. Mm -hmm. And what that will do for us is uh, first inform you what the laws are. You'll know what the law is regarding (laughs) where you are at the moment because it uses the GPS on the phone. If you Mm -hmm. have that turned on, Mm -hmm. turn on your GPS when you want to know where you are, mm-hmm. and it'll show you a map, and it'll show you where you are on the map. And it'll mm-hmm. say, and then you'll know, based on that map, if you're in a marine re- reserve or a marine park or a fishing zone, um, and 
all the regulations are available there so you'll know what's in season, size limits, catch limits, etc. Mm. And that way you can, one, protect yourself from accidentally mm-hmm. uh, doing something illegal. Right. But also... Uh, it en- enables all of us to become the eyes and ears of enforcement. Mm. And that should put the fear of God into all the poachers <laughs> if they knew that there's 70,000 or 80,000 eyes, you know, <laughs> yeah. sets of eyes watching. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, is an easy access. You just click a, uh, a button and call uh the enforcement officer, if you think you're looking at an infraction. So mm. you see some guy come out of the water with a bag full of lobsters out of season, mm. then you can just make a call and say, I see this and here's where I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, an enforcement officer should come running. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's another issue we could improve on, according to most fishermen, is mm-hmm. we could spend more money on enforcement. Right. They, the fishermen themselves tell me when I talk to them. I've talked to a lot of fishermen. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll tell me that uh, I don't want any new regulations until you first enforce the ones you got. And it's a good point. And, uh, and it's a fair point. DOE would tell you that we are enforcing it and that we're doing a good job. And I, you know, I think there's some truth on both sides of this mm-hmm. that yeah, fishermen are probably actually seeing some stuff that they're not bothering to report. If they put this app on your phone, please, <laughs> you can see an infraction and you'll know better than anybody else that's an infraction and you can call and uh, and now some of them are grumbling that I've made calls and got no response. In other words, they're told, well, there's nobody uh, available right oh. now or something like that. And that's where they're asking for more, more. enforcement. Yeah. Right. It couldn't be easier, though. It's on your phone. Yeah. And I mean, do you think, is it possible to do it anonymously? Maybe some people don't report because it's not anonymous, I guess. I'm pretty sure it is anonymous. Okay, good. So, you know, double check that. But I I believe it is anonymous. That's awesome. um, But everybody should have this. Everybody. Well, if you live on this country. If you're hearing me now, get the app (laughs) on your phone. Even if you don't really plan to use it, get it on your phone, and you'll Mm -hmm. find a use for it. You'll see something someday and you'll say, "Uh uh-oh, that doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. Let me check. And you'll look at your phone and see uh, the information there. Right. And I'm going to add the link for that in the description of these episodes that people can easily get to it and download it. Outstanding. It's not an issue. Let's get it going. For sure. Let's get it going. This is the key key point of this talk. (laughs) Okay. Brilliant. So why is it so important for us to restore our reef fish populations and the economic value in that? What's the economic value in it? I mean, it kind of almost seems straightforward in my head, but there could be people who maybe don't see the economic value. Okay, you're thinking right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a huge economic value. See, I, again, my background informs me mm-hmm. as an underwater photographer, as well as all the other things I do, but I've done a lot of publication in dive magazines and books and things around the world. And one of the things that brought me to this island was slideshows and presentations and films I saw, right? Oh. Um, but if you don't have the subject matter to photograph photogenic reefs full of fish, yeah. then you're missing out on one of the greatest changes in technology we have today, the internet and mm-hmm. social media, free advertising. If you just have a big Nassau grouper like we used to have in Grand Cayman, we still have it in Little Cayman, but if you still had this, these guys were the ambassador of the reef. They're probably the single most important species for dive tourism. These guys have a habit of swimming right up to each diver. You could have 30 divers coming off a dive boat, and as each diver goes by, this fish 
this big fish is coming up and <laughs> looking you right in the mask. Oh my God. <laughs> and he's coming and greeting each diver, like wow. the greeter of the reef, right? And so that's a photo op that mm-hmm. ends up on a Facebook post or whatever social, Instagram, whatever they're doing. And um, free advertising. We're probably talking about hundreds of millions of dollars per year in lost tourism income. And that matters to taxi drivers and condo owners and hotels, uh, Chamber of Commerce, CETA, CIDOT, everybody on this island is losing because our reef is not what it used to be. We have literally turned a silk purse into a sow's ear. Oh my gosh. Just by not putting in the efforts enough to preserve what we have and look after it. We never understood what sustainable use means yes. for a renewable resource like this. Oh, that's a huge problem, man. <laughs> it's huge. But okay. That seems quite obvious to me. And when we also think about Cayman, a big old piece of our tourism is Seven Mile Beach. Right? So uh, how do our reef fish affect Seven Mile Beach? Another huge facet of the economic value of our reef fish right. is the parrotfish. In 1984, a blight came through of some unknown en- enigmatic virus that killed off all the sea urchins, the long spine diadema, the nasty long spines, wow. dangerous you know, diadema sea urchin that if, if you poke yourself on it, it will really poke you. Uh-huh. And we have been seeing a very slow recovery of that uh, urchin over the decades since they were wiped out. Uh, they are just slowly recovering, but there's a new wave of that same oh, no. uh, disease coming up through the Caribbean. It hasn't hit us yet, but it may wipe them out again. And they were the single most important uh, consumer of algae, which clears off a dead patch of coral, leaving that patch bare for a new coral recruit to land and start a new colony. When mm-hmm. you don't when you don't have the algae eaters eating off that algae, there's no place for the new coral to land. So as we have all these coral disease and storm disasters that periodically have wiped out um, whole sections of corals, we've dropped from 80% live hard coral coverage down to less than 20% live hard coral coverage over the the decades. And uh, in the meantime, Mm -hmm. we have speared and caught Uh, some of our most important sand-producing parrotfish. There's three large species of parrotfish, the midnight parrotfish, the rainbow parrotfish, and the blue parrotfish. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we call them squab, Mm -hmm. but these (laughs) these three large species of squab um, have recently, in 2015, been proven by the University of Exeter in a study done in an island like our island Mm -hmm. in the Maldives where they have not yet overfished their parrotfish. They still have a healthy population of mm-hmm. parrotfish, and they found that over 80%, actually, they say, say over 85% of all new sand being produced on that island, and the study's only been done for that island, but uh, we, have, we have to consider the probability mm-hmm. because it's the same kind of geological formation as our island mm-hmm. that uh, it, it applies here as well. So mm-hmm. over 85% of all new sand being produced on that island was being produced by those large parrotfish, the large ones. 
Hmm. Specifically the big ones uh, because of the way they feed. They they scrape a lot of coral with the uh, algae they're taking. Right. And uh, in fact, some of them just actually just eat live coral. And But they're producing the majority of sand. They used to produce the majority of sand here, right? Right. But it's been over 40 years since we've seen large schools like Bob Soder described to me and like I saw in 1976 in Cozumel, which is 40 to 60 of these large parrotfish schooling together, pumping out sand as they go, feeding and then moving and feeding and moving and pumping out sand everywhere. I mean, just literally streams of sand coming out of their hineys. that's a really important shift because now, I mean, since 1983, when I arrived, uh, the most I ever saw was maybe 12 or 14 in a school back then. Today, uh, you get excited if you see six together. You, you know? do. If yeah. you hear a report of eight, it's like, wow, or 10. Whoa, you know, uh, it's a rare experience. I don't but think it I've used even to be at every it. dive site, according to uh, Bob Soto oh and the old gosh. timers. You talk to the old uh, divers. I've never even seen that, you know. I know. I haven't seen that my entire time here. Oh, my gosh. I only saw it in 1976 in Cozumel. And there is a film Mm -hmm. made in 1972 at East End here uh, about the Cayman Islands that shows exactly what I just described. 40 to 60 in a big school going along pumping out sand at the East End. But that was probably one of the last uh, big schools like that. um, Oh, my gosh. as As our tourism started to rise. Yeah we then had the opportunity to sell fish. Yeah. And we were just selling fish as fast as we could catch them, right? right? There was no end to the demand. Right. If you could catch them, you could sell them. And I don't think people understand how interconnected we are with our nature and what it provides us. People don't connect that, that okay, because, you know, we have their big issues right now in Seven Mile Beach with sand movements and now Royal Palms or what was Royal Palms is no beach, nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And... Who knows what that could have been like if we had been sustainably looking after our fish resources sure. here. And, and mm. uh, regarding that sand issue on Seven Mile Beach, mm. uh, it's obvious. Mm. Uh, any uh, hydrologist would be able to tell you that you cannot put up a uh, solid barrier mm. in front of a wave and expect the sand to stay in front of that solid barrier. No. The wave is going to reflect off like like or reflection off a mirror, yeah. the energy is, is perfectly reflected. So yeah. the wave just goes kicking right back straight out to sea with the same energy it came in with, scouring the sand off the beach. So while, while we were pumping the sand off the beach, we weren't, re- and it, it eventually goes over the wall, yeah. right? A lot of it is seasonally, it would go kind of mid-shore and then come back on shore and go mid-shore and come back on shore, depending on the uh, storms. Mm-hmm. And uh, a percentage of it, always has been spilling off the drop-off, mm-hmm. right? Some percentage. Mm-hmm. And we don't know that number. No. Exactly. That would be worth knowing. I think so. That's a pretty good thing <laughs> to find out how much sand goes off the wall. Now, yeah. that number is going to change now. Yeah. It won't be as high now as it would have been 30 years ago. Because of? Because there's less sand yeah. to go over the wall. To be cr- being right? created. Right. But, and there's not as much being replaced. So anyway, exactly. w- while we were pumping it off the wall, we weren't replacing it because mm-hmm. we fished out the creator's. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, so let's ask this question. So we have an impact on the way, as you know, we're predators, so we have an impact on our reefs. What about seabirds? Do you want to know anything about this? What about the, our, the, the seabirds' relationship with our reef populations? 
Because our oh, seabirds yeah. are linked to our mangroves. Well, obviously, seabirds have to eat fish. Exactly. And if you don't have the fish. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, we have this regulation uh, allowing a certain amount of sprats. Okay. Uh, you can take certain, you know, bucketfuls of sprats. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, should we continue this? Mm. You know, this could affect our seabirds, obviously. Mm. The, the birds need fish to eat. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't done the research. Mm-hmm. It's not my job. Mm-hmm. I'm a photographer. And uh, somebody needs <laughs> to do the research a photographer. <laughs> and find out, you know, yeah. should we slow down our take of sprats too, right? And Because um, our seabirds and the nutrient yeah. cycle that they provide for the reefs and for... It's a massive connection that we, we need to speaking know more of, about. Speaking of the nutrient cycle yeah. on the reef, mm-hmm. um, our automobile traffic... Mm-hmm has cut off access um, tactically for um, the land crabs getting to the sea each spring when the first rains hit, they would always go and lay their eggs in the ocean en masse. There would be hundreds of thousands, probably millions in Grand Cayman of these big white land crabs with the big claws. I remember that. Um, yeah. And when I first got here in 83, I saw that, you know, yeah. and, um, and I also saw the roads covered with dead crabs as the cars oh. were running them over. Oh, God. And as, a, as the number of cars increased, the odds of them making it across the road and back decreased. Of course. So the car number increased, the number of crabs decreased. Right. Not a lot we could do about that unless we did like Christmas Island where they um, created a barrier on the roadside along the edge of the roads Mm -hmm. in key areas where Mm -hmm. there's a lot of land crabs living inland. Mm -hmm. Um, If you did that with all the, that would funnel the crabs to a tunnel that goes under the road, uh, giving them access out. And the same thing coming back when they come back. Um, same thing happening on the other side of the road. They're being funneled to uh, down to the tunnel. They'll just follow along that barrier yeah. until they get to the tunnel and then go on through. Land bridges. And so it's probably, you know, really expensive. And yeah. I don't know if we can convince people how valuable that is. But try to imagine in your mind's eye gazillions mm-hmm. of eggs. Because each one of these crabs is loosing hundreds of thousands of eggs. And gazillions of eggs hatching out in the little larva, drifting off and getting caught by corals because mm-hmm. corals are little animals. They're mm-hmm. like little jellyfish that sting uh, things like that <laughs> and eat them. Yeah. Uh, how much nutrient That's in used those. to be moved wow. from inland, from yeah. the forest to the reef that is no longer being moved? Because of I don't know of any research that's ever been done on that. You know, that actually brings us into... A bigger topic, speaking of um, that cutoff with traffic and the situation that we have going on right now with the West Arter- East-West Arterial Road, um, which I'd like to know your opinion on. So the North Sound is directly linked to the Central Mangrove Wetland, and consequently the effects of the Central Mangrove Wetland would also have an effect on North Sound ecosystem, mm-hmm. which is exactly kind of what we're talking about. So the CMW provides benefits uh, such as rain generation, uh, which is a central mangrove wetland, by the way, that's what CMW is, um, storm surge protection, water filtration, as well as an area for fish nurseries. So how do you think that the quality affects this, e- the quality of these mangrove areas affects the ecosystems that will then in turn affect the North Sound reef population and the health of the reef and sandbars? Okay. 
It's a big question. This is, <laughs> this is a big question. It's one of the very important questions for the environmental impact assessment team that is currently putting together mm-hmm. your questions. The mm-hmm. public mm-hmm. are uh, at, they've been invited up until February 20th to mm-hmm. uh, ask or, or suggest questions they should be researching in the environmental impact assessment. Right. So we will be looking forward to the answers to these important questions from the EIA Mm -hmm. when that is presented to public. Mm -hmm. And depending on the answers, Mm -hmm. uh, there may be more or less concern from Mm -hmm. environmentalists over these issues. Mm -hmm. I'm personally just theorizing Mm -hmm. uh, that they're going to find that there will be some major detrimental uh, impacts uh, caused by uh, the future expectation of development that that road would open up. So that they're putting in round the, the plan, Mm -hmm. the kind of, it's a, what do they call it? Draft plan. Yep. 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 And they've got like, three or four different options they could do on how they build that road. Yeah. But the one they showed us at the um, invitation for us to come give our input. Public meetings. Yeah, was uh, with roundabouts. Right. Placed where there shouldn't be any (laughs) development going to the north. Right. (laughs) There should be no development going north, right? Mm -hmm. So if anything, there should be like an exit going south, but nothing going north from that thing. In my opinion, that's just me. Yep, yep, yep. But... Uh, hopefully, the EIA will consider what would happen 20, 30, 50 years hence Yeah. Uh, to the water flow coming from the wetlands into North Sound. And it's, it's a, currently, it's historically always been a really big number mm-hmm. of the flow of water carrying nutrients from that area mm-hmm. into North Sound. Right. And that's a very important uh, aspect of feeding all of the juvenile species that make their nursery fringing the mangrove mm-hmm. on the east side of North Sound. In fact, all throughout North Sound, the whole mm-hmm. thing. I w- have to wonder how that would affect not only that immediate area, but mm-hmm. all the way across North Sound. Mm-hmm. Because we see uh, this brownish water flowing out uh, by um, uh, Barker's K. Mm-hmm. There's a channel there in front of Barker's K. And whenever the wind is up and it's an outgoing uh, tide, Mm -hmm. you'll see this brownish water kind of taking a turn to the uh, west. Right. And uh, that shows you how far-reaching those nutrients are. And they're feeding um, the entire North Sound. And then hence the fish fish populations. So if you cut that water flow, I think you can expect something to happen, something negative. Right, which is something definitely to keep in mind for the public to keep in mind when they make their recommendations, yeah. right? When they make their questions. And, and yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I'm not even convinced, and I really hope one of the questions that's going to be uh, raised is I'm not convinced it's going to help traffic jams. It probably, in my theoretical mm-hmm, thinking, mm-hmm. would increase traffic jams just backing it up sooner, faster, because right. you're just getting from East End and North Side to the jam yeah. faster, but you're not solving the jam. And as we solve the jam, mm-hmm. 
you know, further down in toward Georgetown, as we do solve these roundabout flow mm-hmm, issues, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, I believe we will, mm-hmm. uh, I hope we will. I hope we will. <laughs> but even as we do, we'll only be solving it probably for today's population. And then right. 10 years from now, we'll be back in the jams. And then 10 years hence, even worse, yeah. et cetera, if we don't really look hard at the effect of population growth. We right. need to think about population growth, and I hope that'll be part of the EIA in this thing. It, sh- it should be, right? It should be yeah. an all-encompassing situation that we look at from every single perspective. Environmental sciences I, is every perspective needs to be taken into account, yeah. right? And I, I really do believe, just watching this happen over the past 40 years that I've been here, yeah, that it is population growth at the root of most of our woes. I understand it has historically always been our easy, low-hanging fruit for mm-hmm. increasing the economy, mm-hmm. for paying the government's wages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all these new uh, work permit fees mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing that helps pay for things. Mm-hmm. But it also uh, builds up the infrastructure needs so mm-hmm. that we have to build more infrastructure. And then we have to pay for that infrastructure by... Adding more people. Yeah. And so it's yeah. this snowball running downhill that right. is, I think, at the root of everything. Yeah. So it's a massive threat. It's, it's, it's a loss of biodiversity, which we could see because of it. It's a massive threat. But what are, what are some of the other threats, I guess, of the populations that we're seeing? So this is, this is a big one that we're dealing with right now. I think the, this possible road is a massive effect that we could, a massive, sorry, threat that we could see <laughs> in the future in terms of everything you've just the juvenile fish the the nurseries the fresh water the nutrients all of those things that are so vital for our fish and then for our sorry, our coral reefs and then to, and in turn for our fish right because it's all connected and i don't think people can see the interlinkingness of it sometimes because it's it's not visible it's not something that is obvious um but to get back to my original thing if that's one of our biggest future threats what basically have been the threats to the population so far? Is it line fishing, deep fishing, spear fishing? What have been the biggest? Obviously, it's just overall overconsumption. But has there been one specific type of fishing that has been the biggest issue? In your Man, opinion? Man, uh, you know, <laughs> again, that would take a scientific study to mm-hmm. answer accurately. Okay. Right. I could only theorize on the piles of fish that I've seen for sale yep. um, on the waterfront. Yeah. At, at every place that people clean their catch, yep. I've seen piles of fish, the ones that are missing, mm. right? All the big groupers yeah, and nothing. all the snappers right. and the barracudas, you know, we used to have a lot more barracuda than we have. I mean, really? everything that we love to eat. I've seen big piles on the fish cleaning tables getting smaller and smaller yep. and smaller and then shifting in species so now you see a completely different set of species on the cleaning tables right you don't (laughs) see the nassau groupers tiger groupers black groupers that we used to see all the time that was our favorite fish and the yellow mouth mouth grouper yellowfin grouper yeah you don't see them in the numbers we used to see we still see a few once in a while right especially like yellowfin grouper um we might be getting from um 12 mile banks or pickle banks or uh, mm. you know, further afield, yeah. uh, but the fishermen have to go further afield to catch them. Because and the reason they don't catch them off our own reefs anymore for sale, at least as their regular source of fish, uh, right? occasionally, yep. they have to go fishing the local reef because the winds are wrong. They can't go where they want to go. Okay. So they go and they fish the local reef. But 
you could see the shift going on there. So I would say that, you know, it's just all fish for sale yes, was the yeah. single biggest uh, loss because there was no end to the number of uh, buyers of fish for sale. But, um, and, and that, that number has just done nothing but skyrocket, right? Our resident population yeah. from 16,000 when I got here to 70,000 now, and the tourist population, same thing, you know, skyrocketing. And, um, and, and so I would say we've just eaten them. Okay. <laughs> and there's lots of ways yeah. to do that. Yeah. And, you know, you, the, you know, guy out hand lining from shore and the, um, but that's the guy I want to be able to be continue. allowed to do that. Yeah. I right. want, I want the, the guy who can't afford that hundred thousand exactly. dollar boat to be able to catch dinner. Right. Exactly. And it should be a Caymanian. Yeah. But, um, we need to limit in every way we take. If yeah. you can afford to eat anything else, please do. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that there's a way to do this sustainably? And I guess that's, what would your recommendations wow. be? Wow, what an excellent question. <laughs> All right, Sustain, how do you get sustainable? And how do we first build back what we have lost exactly. as a strategic food reserve? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, you, you tighten your belt. Okay. And you stop taking at the rate right. we've been taking. Just stop. Mm-hmm. And um, let them reproduce. You don't have to do anything else. Just take your hands off. They'll fix the problem themselves. They'll reproduce. They'll do their thing. Yep. That's life. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but historically, I'll do this as a, a hand graph. I don't know if the camera <laughs> can see my hand, but <laughs> let's just say our population used to be up here right. of X species, whatever okay. it is, whatever okay. kind of fish. And today it's down here. It's right. barely off the table. Okay, right. Okay. For that species. Right. Now we leave it alone and we let it reproduce to its optimum level that the reef can um, uh, occupy because right. our reef has changed. Of course, it's we not. We damaged it. It's not. It's like not what it, was. it used to be. Yeah. So it gets to an optimum level. Mm-hmm. At which point, then let's say you know it's like a bank account where you've got ten million dollars in the bank. Yeah. Earning two percent in interest per year, you could use. $200,000, you could spend $200,000 out of that bank account every year, sustainably, you're never eating into the principal. Right. You're always keeping the number high enough that you can take a lot of fish, the $200,000 a year, that's, that's a lot compared to today. Let's say today though, what we actually have right now, let's say that species, you only have really, say $10,000 in the bank. Right. At 2% per year, you can spend $200 a year sustainably, and we're not doing that. <laughs> we are spending more, okay? Right. We're taking more than that. And, uh, and certainly outside the pr- protected areas, we're just stripping it clean, right? Mm. <clears throat> but if you uh, allow that to restore to its uh, optimum number mm-hmm. for each species, right? Mm-hmm. And it'll take time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it will. These big adult fish were 20 or 30 years old that yeah. are missing now, yeah. uh, largely missing. There's a few, right? Mm-hmm. We, we have to protect those few. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't understand why we allow any take of mm-hmm. Nassau groupers in Grand Cayman, mm-hmm. but we do. And mm-hmm. we, we've changed the regulations though. You can only take a maximum of, I think it's four fish per day, per okay. fisherman, four Nassau groupers per day. But, uh, and there's a size window. The right. size window is important right? because the bigger the fish is, the more eggs it produces. So right. when the fish reaches a certain size, mm-hmm. we say no more take of anything that size or bigger. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, and that fish now is going to produce more eggs every year. 
every year, the bigger it gets, the more eggs it produces. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a, another size limit from, you know, too mm -hmm. small mm -hmm. to uh, this uh, larger size yep. that's there's more between. valuable. So right, there's right, right. this w little window there where yeah. you can take. Um, that's just one of the ways that we're protecting that particular species. But man, all the groupers are in trouble. Yeah. They're not, it's not just the Nassau grouper. Right. Uh, help me remember the So question. to do it sustainably. Uh, so to do this sustainably, yeah. then you restore your numbers as high as possible. Right. And then you can afford to take, but with monitoring, yeah. which we're not doing, Right. you can afford to take um, a certain amount per year, but you need to know what that number is. How much, what is the reproductive rate? What is the recruitment rate? What's right. the new arrival rate that um, survives the journey right. and makes it to adult size? How many, do you, how many new adults do you get per year? Right. Yeah. And, and then knowing that, which we don't know, we never knew, uh, then you would be able to monitor a sustained, uh, a sustainable level. And sustainable means whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. you can do this forever. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, um, if you had $10 million in the bank, yeah. you could take 200000 every year sustainably. Yeah. Forever. Your, fam <laughs> your family would always have $10 million in the bank. Yeah. You know? Uh, that's what we need to do for our future. Right. And it's important that we get them back we restore their optimum numbers rather than simply just maintaining our current population exactly right if you maintain where we are right now you're just on the brink of extinction right i mean literally so we need the big action especially with this uh you know seeing yeah. this projection of a massive increase in our population right somebody recently did the numbers and came up with like over three hundred thousand oh. by the year 2037 oh my god that's not that far away no Oh my gosh, I'm going to be alive for that. That's terrible. Yeah. You know, based on the two and a half, uh, 10 and a half percent increase that we're seeing right now. Okay. Okay. Per year. What do you think we could be doing with the fishing regulations to speed up this recovery then? Uh, well, as I mentioned, we could um, reserve it for Caymanian use only. Okay. And again, we're only talking about the reef shelf. When it comes to commercial fishermen who make a living yeah. catching fish, I'm not suggesting that we stop pelagic fishing that issue is mm -hmm. for a whole nother conversation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. for which guy harvey is probably our best uh, mm -hmm. experienced and knowledgeable in mm -hmm. he would know more than anybody on this island that i know of mm -hmm. regarding that issue okay. pelagic but that's that's a, a different issue from what it we're is, talking about is, we're right. talking about here yeah. on our reef shelf which for some people you may not realize is really tiny our mm, reef yeah. shelf is so narrow there's like uh, what is it 350 acres of uh, reef, uh, cor uh, coral reef it's not that on much. Grand Cayman. It's not that much. It's really tiny. Yeah. It is really tiny. And it's not all available for every species. Some species live up in the shallows. Some live in the mid area. Some live near the drop off, right? Right. <clears throat> okay. So one more time, the advice that you would offer to people to be a part of the solution instead of part of the problem, and how do you think people could get more involved with this and find out more about it? Where could they go to learn more about this? Because okay. you know so much, so you uh, must have some great sources. <laughs> well, uh, a lot of what I know comes just from experience of having seen it over 40 years uh, mm -hmm. as it changed in, in right. First the hand. numbers. Yeah. But <clears throat> uh, my biggest recommendation is 
if you can afford to eat anything else, yeah. eat, eat anything it. else. All right. 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 right, uh, right. Don't buy reef fish. Don't uh, catch them if you don't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you feel like you just have to go fishing for sport, do hook mm-hmm. and release. Mm-hmm. Um, we could um, change this fishing regulation uh, that I suggested, uh, reserving it for Caymanians only. But mm-hmm. probably the single most important thing that DOE has offered us to date. Yep is this new app. app. Right. The Marine Parks app will educate everyone on what the regulations are. Perfect. You need to know the regulations before you go fishing or okay. you know, go for conch or lobster, whatever, or whelk. Um, so learn the regulations, but also just having it on your phone, you can become the eyes and ears to help with law enforcement and be able to report infractions when you see an obvious re- infraction occurring. Right, and that's in the palm of your hand. So really, there's a lot to be involved with in terms of this. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of choices to make in terms of this and a lot of resources to use in terms of this, right? right? So thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. That We've covered a lot of ground. I actually learned a lot of stuff. I had no idea about the sea urchin stuff with the eating the algae. I'm going to have to look into that because that's quite crazy. <laughs> and where can people go to follow you or hear more about you? I, I know you have a TEDx talk, right? Yeah, I have a TEDx talk I did in 2015 at okay. UCCI. Uh, so you could just Google Courtney Platt TEDx. I'll and pop that find in the that. notes. Okay. Uh, that's easy. Uh, but that was before we expanded the marine parks. So I oh, was okay. focused on that at the time. Okay. Um, but it does uh, help open the eyes to the problem okay. and um, the potential solutions. Um, I plan mm-hmm. to begin a new campaign if I can afford to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I need funding, mm-hmm. somebody to help um, so that I can afford to spend less time doing photography, more time going to every school on the island, every adult uh, group that will invite me mm-hmm. to come and talk about the same things we've just been talking about today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, if you can just watch this if you've just seen this, you've just seen the message. So exactly. please spread the word, you know, share this on your Facebook page or mm-hmm. Instagram, whatever you do, mm-hmm. share this talk and talk about it. Yeah. Uh, get the app and uh, become um, active in participation. Well, honestly, you're very inspiring. You know an awful lot about all this stuff and we're very lucky to have you here and to have you uh, being the... I guess you're, to me, you're, you're, I see you standing on a reef with a cape on. That's how I'm imagining you right now. So thank you very much for being our reef champion for this. My pleasure. Thank you, Bella. I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you so much to DMS Broadcasting and Bobo 89.1 FN, FM, and my pal Ryan Kirkaldi from Retrospect Media for capturing all of this. And a big thank you to Sustainable K-Man for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Sustainable K-Man is a nonprofit organization promoting conservation and environmental sustainability to create a flourishing natural environment and healthy communities. And you can follow them on Instagram at SustainableKY and on Facebook at Sustainable.KMan. Also make sure to check out their new Facebook group, which is Wetlands Thrive, Life Survives. And check out their very cool jingle competition that is currently on right now. There's, I'll add the link below and you can win $1,000 for coming up with a great, great, great jingle. That'll kind of be our front running tune for this whole campaign. And... And you'll make a lasting contribution. So you can check out our filmed episodes over on YouTube and check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Protecting Paradise KY. And remember that you cannot care if you don't know. You can't care about our reefs, about our fish, about anything if you don't understand that it's even an issue, right? So 
Thanks for joining us today. And remember, we're always open to your opinion and your topic suggestions, so do not be shy. And we'll see you again next week. Ta-da!